On this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I bring in Bud Elliott, who is the most knowledgeable person that we know about college football. He actually knows college football players' names. And then Rufus and I get into an argument about whether Baltimore sports are better than Boston sports. And I won't tell you who wins. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not the typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast. It's the special bet bash episode where rufus is a bet bash and i am not so how's bet bash been it's been it's been pretty good you've you were in las vegas the day before bet bash yeah i and it's nothing against bet bash honestly like i just can't spend that many consecutive days in vegas and i also believe that i need to have a business reason to be in vegas unless it's completely just for fun and Bet Bash would have probably been for fun, although I guess to meet some of our listeners, it sounds like there's some of the seven that are there. Is sounds that right? like you don't care about our seven listeners. I do. I've been I've been doing all these calls with them for the golf project I'm working on, and I get to know and and meet a lot of our listeners, and it's it's been pretty fun. It is interesting that so many of the listeners, a lot more of the listeners we have are not betters. I actually met a guy. In Vegas, because I we mentioned on the last podcast that we were going to be in Vegas, and he reached out to me, and I met him and had a drink with him at the Win in the lounge at the Win, and um, he's like totally normal, doesn't really bet, plays poker, clued me into a poker room that's like fifteen minutes away from my house that he goes to play at that I had no idea existed. It's pretty interesting. That is interesting. So, cool story, bro. How did he discover the podcast? Uh, I don't remember how he said he discovered it, but he's, he's not, a, he's not a real sports better, which I, I find it really interesting when people say they're not real sports betters, but there is a, a real demographic of people that aren't, which is great. And we have like some potentially exciting new sponsorships stuff happening that I won't mention yet, but it is going to be very interesting to discuss the process, which is what we need to get back to being a bet the process podcast and talking about the process. So how has your process so far been? Uh, have you started any football stuff yet? We're going to butt Elliot on in a little bit and would be curious to know if you started any, any football. I'm, I'm beginning. I'm in the beginning stages of it. What does that process look like for you? Like, what do you, what are you actually doing? What do you have to do? There's some upgrades we're looking at making Massey Peabody. Um, and I can give you a little bit more detail um, on that once we're, we're further into that uh, potentially, but there's stuff wait with, why because you don't know what it's going to be or because you don't want to give no, up it, anything or it's a a collab potential collaboration okay got it um and and kind of doing something a little bit new and so that's it, it, we'll see we'll see how that works out um we had to get we we've had discussions about getting uh better data um, but we are certainly under the gun time wise it feels like this summer has just flown by. Well, college seems to start earlier and earlier every year, right? And this 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 year, the, we you know, the August twenty sixth is the first game, so that's a little bit more than two weeks away, which is crazy to think about. It so, is when, when an NFL 
It seems NFL like doesn't NFL start until after Labor after Day. Labor Day right? So NFL starts later. And NFL starts later. Do you know the history behind why the NFL starts later? No, you want to tell me? Sure. I mean, that's why I was alluding to it. So um, during 9-11, when they canceled the first week of the NFL season and sort of pushed everything back, in addition to having a two-week break between the you know, the championships and, and Super Bowl weekend, it pushed the Super Bowl into what's called sweeps week, which is the week that, you know, is is like the highly coveted week that they do measurement for advertising and whatnot. And it made the Super Bowl even more valuable to own. So the NFL just decided to continue to just push the week back and then whatever. And it made the Super Bowl even more valuable than it already is. So yeah, I, I guess the Super Bowl was in late January way back when right yeah or like right at the beginning of february and now it's like pushed like reasonably far into february February now yeah um the the super bowl's in vegas this year isn't it it is we were planning on going are you going to go to the f1 stuff in vegas i mean vegas is going to become a zoo (laughs) over the next six months eight months i mean it's i'll probably be here for the f1 stuff i feel like it would be it'll be interesting to see what it's like. Yeah. Well, you don't, you have a house there, so you don't have to do anything and you can kind of just like roll around. I, I was originally thinking I would go, but now I don't think it's I will. So it's just expensive, too crazy. Right? Yeah. It's just too, too crazy. Right. And you know, I'm on a budget in life now. So until this housing remodel thing is done. So big budget, budget, but no, it's a budget. It's still a budget. Okay. Um, how, how about our golf match? how do you feel about our golf match? We got a criticism from BPR because, uh, you talked too much about your golf game last time. So let's try to keep the golf talk about your own golf game a little bit under wraps. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we could talk about Tom's golf game. We could talk about my yeah. golf game. We could talk well, about anyone's golf game. I'll summarize. We, we, Jeff, uh, I, I, Jeff and I broke even financially on it. I think I won our overall match by one stroke, but I was up six after one like hole, one hole. Holes, we played, one we played, hole. I was up six after eight holes and Jeff came storming back with like a 41 on the back nine. And, and yeah, my brother, I had a birdie. that birdie was pretty sick. He, yeah. And, and closed it out before like hitting three balls in the water on 18. Um, <laughs> no, I did not hit three. Your brother hit. No, three no, that's what I said. I said oh. Tom did before, uh, but, but yeah. And then Tom went out and shot a 76 the next day to, to beat me. So I'm, I'm down three, three points in the Peabody cup right now. I'm not, not in a good situation. It wasn't, it wasn't like the time where we played with Scott Bloomstein and Scott Bloomstein had a hole in one, which was, which was the, which was the shit right back in the day. Uh, what, uh, what are you looking forward to for um, Bet Bash? Anything, anything, any highlights coming up? It's, it's just nice to see a lot of people, a lot of familiar faces. Who's the person that surprised you the most that you saw? That surprised me the most? Like yeah. they jumped out at me and I was surprised. I mean, I don't, you, you know what the word surprise mean, don't you? I do. I don't know. I, I, I do. It's not like you really, no, I saw some people from Costa Rica that I hadn't seen since like 2016 when I was down there. So that was a little surprising. That was probably the most surprising for me. Um, but are you, are you looking forward? Are you going to go to the panels tomorrow? I am. Yeah. And I'm going to go to the sports betting hall of fame induction ceremony. So you bring a tux. I did actually bring my tux. Nice. That's exciting. Might be a little wrinkled, but are you excited I, I about I didn't potentially... bring tux shoes though? So I might have to wear a tux and sneakers. Are you excited about reading this Billy Walters book and like the early, early rumors that, you know, he talks about 
Phil Mickelson betting over a billion dollars in sports. I didn't know much about this book, but I did see I did see those rumors, and and I think that might sell me on reading it. But do you think that that's a lot of money? Well, if you're not a winning better, it is. I guess that's a fair point it's because a lot I mean you you right? you like bet over you've bet over a billion dollars in your life, haven't you? In my life, like not my own. If you count the is a is a group, the groups I like yes probably. Yeah, that's why I think it's like interesting that everyone's making. I mean, yes, I guess this is a different thing because he's probably not a winning better, and he's probably betting you know pretty big chunks here and there. Um, but you know, you have to, whenever you see, whenever you hear these numbers, especially when it comes to gambling, you have to put things into perspective because Phil Mickelson makes hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, a year or whatever. Right. And it doesn't make hundreds of millions a year. He probably made close to a hundred million a year in his heyday. I'm sure. But I mean, we can, with sponsorships. sponsorships. Yeah. With sponsorships and things like that. Maybe, maybe less than that. Like mid seven figures, mid eight figures, I guess. Right. So 50 K 50 million. Right. Something like that, I would think. So what is that? So if you made normal person making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. Are we doing the thing of like, uh, is this rel- the, all rel- the speeding speaking? ticket for him? So like the, someone is someone that makes like a quarter million dollars a year, which is a good living, right? That that would be, and you're 20 times 50 million to get to a billion. So that would be like someone betting what, I guess five million dollars over the course of their life. It's a fair amount of money, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, you want to welcome in Bud? Are there okay. any? Are there any? There's no bets. There's no things that you're putting in these days, right? Like you've already bet. You already bet your. Did you bet the the golf this week? We did bet the golf this week. It's already started, so we can't really say much there. Yeah, but you might as well. You the, might as well. I don't even know who we something. bet. I don't even know who we bet really. The the playoff hmm. events are honestly kind of boring there's no cut it's a small field i don't know that's sad to, sad do you find, do you you find it a little boring too um i mean i don't i think the problem is that like i don't usually have a lot riding on them like i have nothing bet on them we don't have calcuttas for them and so i guess yeah i mean last year i think i was into the idea of rory winning it so um I mean, I haven't, I haven't even looked at the score yet this week. Like I don't have anything, I don't have anything on it. So yeah. So maybe I do find it boring, but like, that is a shame, right? Because ultimately, um, and by the way, like I, I was with a buddy last night and he reminded me that like two or three years ago when I was like pushing on a lot of like golf and business stuff that I was like, I was like thinking that we should put a group together to buy the PGA because it was this asset that was like, you know, like, again, like the format and everything, like there's just so much more they could do with it. And there's so much more they could try to make better ways they could make money off of it. And then someone stole my idea. Damn Saudis stole my idea, you know, just bought the PGA. There's another reason you don't like them, huh? No, I don't dislike Saudis. What are you talking about? I like don't put words into my mouth. I, I went to Riyadh and Jeddah and loved loved Saudi Arabia. I love my time there. I don't I don't know. I don't 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 politically charge this this podcast. All right, we're gonna welcome in Bud Elliott, and then uh, I don't think we're gonna talk to you on the other side because we don't have picks or anything. Do you have any tilted moments this week? Oh, I, by the way, I figured uh, out Russell Henley blew the Wyndham Championship for the second straight year. We had him last year when he had blew like a three stroke lead on the back nine. 
And then this year he was up one after 15 and bogeyed the last three holes. And just like he, I mean, I don't know how to describe it besides saying he choked. I mean, he just hit some really bad golf shots and. I got a good, I got a good tilted moment that I remember what was going to be my tilted moment last week. So I took my son to go see the Red Sox Giants game. And it was the first baseball game that he'd ever been to. Right. And so you kind of wonder like he's six years old, whether he's going to be into baseball and whether he's going to be bored or what he's going to be doing. And I told him that I get, I would give him $5 if the Red Sox won. So I'm like bribing him to be a Red Sox fan. Oh my God. And you're literally teaching him about betting. Yeah. Well, no, that's not betting. Cause there was it's no, a free roll. it's a free roll. I'm teaching about free rolls in yeah. life. If he can get free rolls, I think that's a good lesson. You should that's, take a free roll. It's true. So he and I are watching this game. I had a couple, I had one of his buddies come and one of my friends come and we, um, you know, watching this game and it's the Giants Red Sox. And uh, at one point during the game, I asked him, I said, Hey, do you want to go get food? Cause I figured like that would be exciting for him to do. And he's like, no daddy, why don't you go get it for me? I'm, I want to watch the game. And so he was like really into the game, kept watching the game. And so the Red Sox were down one, uh, one, nothing the whole time. And then got down two nothing. And then in the top of the ninth inning, they scored two runs to make it two, two. And it was like super exciting. He was like, Oh my God, he was excited. He was going to win blah, blah. And, and, or not, at least in it. And Kenley Jansen comes in first pitch of the ninth inning, uh, walk off home run. Here's the question. JD Davis, but Did let me you let give me, your son $5 anyway. No, ah. but this, so this is a tilted moment, right? We got this whole thing, but then I started thinking about it and I'm like, at the core, this is what it's like to be a fan. It's of like, a, especially of like the Red Sox. And we've talked about this, that fandom is about being disappointed. You don't want your kids to have too much early. He talked about his friend and how his friend is like, a Giants fan and a Warriors fan. And he's like, why, why is he a fan of all the good teams? And I'm not, cause like he's, I've like had similar deals with him to watch the Celtics and he's seen the Celtics lose. And like, you know, I've told him, Hey, if the Celtics win the championship, I'll get you a Arceus box, which is a big this Pokemon is thing. Unrelatable thing I've ever heard in my life. What, what is a Boston sports fan complaining that his teams are bad basically right now. Well, but you have that to understand you, like, you, you have, are talking to somebody that, rooted for the Washington Redskins and Baltimore Orioles my whole life. Those are my teams. But and you also have to understand when the Redskins Rufus, you also have to understand that there was a long stretch of my life, like the formative years where our fan, we were really bad. And that is what's made me the fan that I am really ultimately. bad. How bad? Like the, the, the uh, Patriots were terrible. The Red Sox had some of the most catastrophic losses and then, you know, were, were very mediocre for a while. The Celtics, you know, were good in the 80s, but I didn't even like them in the 80s. And then they had a long run of being bad. I mean, Boston I mean, fans. Every team, every team has runs of being bad. From the, two, from the had, early. The Orioles from the, had losing seasons every season from 1998 to 2011. From the early 2000s to now, I would agree with you that the Boston, you know, sports has been really good. 
but there was a stretch for a while where Boston sports was not very good. And from the, like the mother formative years, again, from like the 80 to 2000, I don't think Boston sports were that good. Anyways. All right. We don't need to argue. We're not that good as defined as not winning championships. That says something, but let's, let's let's bring in, Bud. I think you're forgetting. Okay. We're going to bring Bud and we'll talk to you guys all again next week where maybe we'll be starting to talk about our new sponsorship. So that's exciting. So uh, we'll bring in Bud and we'll talk to you guys all again next week. We now welcome in probably the most knowledgeable person that we know in terms of college football and maybe about life. Um, he just told us a joke that neither of us could actually understand, but I think that's more on Rufus and I being uh, sh- sheltered shut-ins than anything else. Uh, but Elliot, thanks for joining us on the Bet the Process podcast. Going on, guys. Where are you staying? That's like a wonderful little hotel room behind you. It's uh, I'm at Circa at Bed Bash. So. Nice, that's yeah. exciting. And how has Bed Bash been for for you so far? Uh, it's been pretty good. Uh, I got in yesterday and actually had some some work calls for for the day job, and then uh, you know saw Rufus last night at the little uh, happy hour thing they had. It was it was solid. Rufus, are you uh, enjoying your bet bash? And do you want to dive into some of your litany of questions that you have stored up for for Bud? Well, I am I am enjoying bet bash. Bud and I talked a little bit at the Legacy Club. I learned about how arm size is important in gauging whether a player is going to be a tackle or a guard. Something I had actually never thought about, but it's. I mean, I think it just shows the depth of of Bud's knowledge about college football and and how deep he goes on individual players. What are you excited? Sorry, go ahead. You you might get trolled for on on Twitter for not having contemplated whether arm size matters for, for tackle or guard. I, I don't think that's a unique, but I'm sure sure it does. I just haven't, you know, I'm, I'm not like the, the context was Bud was saying this guy's going to play, you know, this, this recruit is actually, he's listed as a tackle, but because of his arm size, there's no way he's actually going to play tackle. So yeah. I would never have thought that They've been like, okay, the recruiting's wrong on this guy. You actually don't know any players names or even what a tackler or a guard is really right? that, that's just numbers point. to you. Um, but what are you excited about for college football? Like what, what are, are we, are we, is this a new era for us? Is, uh, are we going to see a three peat? Like, give me the, give me the four one one on what you're excited about. I, I'm excited about a lot for this year. I mean, at, at the very top of, of the sport, the, the three rosters that I think most people who do this uh, professionally, recreationally, like you know, seriously, would would agree are the best rosters. Uh, Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama are, are all breaking in new quarterbacks. Right now, Georgia's not crazy quarterback dependent. They've gotten by with you know, decent to good quarterback play before, uh, but over the last two years, I mean, Bama and Ohio State have have been somewhat quarterback dependent with, with C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. And now, so I think it does create some uncertainty at the top of the sport. And Stetson Bennett, I mean, he went fourth round for Georgia. So all three teams are having to replace you know, drafted quarterbacks. And look, a lot of teams do win the national title with a first-year starter, but I, I think it creates some fun uncertainty when the very best rosters from you know, 1 to 85 have new starters at quarterback. And you have some, you know, some other good players throughout the sport, maybe on rosters 4 through 10, uh, who are returning a player who we've at least seen some of, and he does have some real ability. It, it's unlike the NFL, right? In that, I mean, the, the Chiefs are going to have Mahomes. The, the the Bills have Allen. Like we don't have that kind of turnover at the quarterback position for the most part with your best teams year to year in the sport. So I'm I'm, I'm I think that's probably one of the the coolest storylines this year 
if you get away from all the conference realignment stuff. So speaking of uncertainty and quarterback uncertainty, I read in an article that you actually tweeted out that something like 42 of 67 of the power five starting quarterbacks are transfers or, or at some point transferred. Um, how do you handle a transfer quarterback who let's say didn't start at his old school? Um, are you still looking at their high school recruiting? Are you, does the, does the fact that the player didn't win his starting job, like, you know, Joe Burrow at Ohio state, right? I mean, well, that's an example of where clearly it really didn't matter that he didn't win his, his starting job, but, but how do you kind of handle that? I, I think you really have to take it on a case by case basis. Right. Um, and that's, I hope it doesn't sound like a cop-out answer, but uh, you do go back to the kid. What, what did you see from him as a recruit? If, if you're somebody who, who does the recruiting and, and, you know, I, I do. Uh, so I, I definitely lean on what I saw as the player. Uh, like you know, Mike Tomlin says that the secret is there. There is no secret. Like if you're actually out there seeing these guys in person, I think you you can have somewhat of an edge in some cases that is, is not easily reverse engineered. Uh, and then you know, understanding the player's background, what why did he not win the job? Right? Maybe he just took took a chance, bet on himself, tried to go to a school that also signs a bunch of four and five stars, and didn't get it. There, there, there's only one ball, and, and most schools don't rotate quarterbacks. You know, did. Did maybe he was injured and kind of got Wally Pipped and, and and never got never got his gig back. So I think you need to dig into to each one individually. I mean, there's some some fascinating ones like Joe Milton. Uh, I I've seen him a ton uh, since he was a recruit. He's from Orlando. I live in Orlando, and you know, just seeing Joe, I, that's that's the strongest arm I've ever seen from a high school kid, and and he like it's stronger than I would say like all the college counselors we have at the, at like the elite 11 quarterback camp that like the kids come back from college. And even then the zip he had on the ball was, was just different, but I mean, he went to Michigan, he started, they had the bench. He went to Tennessee. He started again. I think we could talk about getting hurt or not, but they had to bench him and they went to Hendon hooker who had a great year. Now he's projected to start again for Tennessee. Like, do they finally have it figured out? Uh, so you'd need to kind of dig into each person's background as to why they didn't start Maybe they're a really high upside guy who's also a low floor player. And those guys that obviously the distributions on their outcomes are, are, are pretty big. And sometimes they take a long time to develop. So if you, this is an interesting theme, like around quarterbacks, because I think you mentioned the difference with the NFL and, you know, Mahomes and whatnot. And I think in the NFL, we fund, fundamentally believe it's so quarterback dependent, right. That, you know, like if I were handicapped in college, like I'd look at a, situation like usc and say like is this now are they undervalued because if this was an nfl situation we'd be like caleb williams is the, is the man right and he's so much head and is he head and shoulders above any other quarterback situation of any of you know any, anywhere and shouldn't are, are they underrated at say 13 to 1 to win the national championship because they have him or how, how should we think about handicapping broadly from a quarterback perspective in college I, I do think that the level of like the the different talent level between the very best teams and, and just the good teams in college, if you take the quarterbacks out, is wider than it is in the NFL. Like I really and I, I don't do the NFL betting wise. So this is me kind of like I might be just totally speaking out of my ass. But I, I kind of think if you take quarterbacks out the NFL teams, the quality of the roster, the gap is probably not quite as big as, as it is one to 32 as it is in college. So. You know, you saw Utah last year kind of physically manhandle USC. And, and Caleb played really well before he got hurt. But 
and Caleb doesn't play defense. And you do have to have a certain kind of minimum level throughout the thing. The, the closest thing I can really recall to just quarterback, everybody get on my back, the rest of the team is actually not good, is Cam Newton. No, nobody else on that Auburn offense in 2010 when they won it all played a single, a single down in the NFL, right? That's kind of nuts. It, yeah, and he just carried him. They had one good D tackle who would occasionally get some tackles for loss, and, and they, they would get the ball back. Uh, so uh, to your question, Jeff, as far as is he the only one, Drake May, I would say, at North Carolina, is probably the other quarterback who, if there's any kind of question as to whether Caleb's one, May could be like your best two, or maybe if you want to argue he's 1B. But other than that, as far as talent and what they've proven so far, I, I think it's definitely Caleb. That's, I, I, but I completely agree with what you're saying in terms of how uh, how much more quarterback dependent the NFL is, just because of the the you know the talent is so much closer together. And I mean, you see a team like Alabama for you know most of the time under Nick Saban, they've until fairly recently have not had you know have had more like game manager type quarterbacks. And they just are just a physically better team than everybody else. Um, exactly. And they, they may be getting back there. We'll, we'll see. And I mean, it also seems interesting to me, the fact that like you do have a lot of quarterbacks that go on to be really good quarterbacks that are not starting initially at their, the, the transfer because they don't win the starting job, which to me says like these quarterbacks are so comparable in quality. It's really hard for a coach and the coaching staff to distinguish who's going to be better without having a lot of gameplay is that i mean i, I was yes. curious like let's say you have like three top like four or five star quarterbacks coming into a program how often is that program actually going to pick the correct guy the guy that's going to be the best guy for the next four years i've talked to coaches about about this and they're always going to be confident in their pick but i i think increasingly we may see some of these schools that have an easy early season schedule do what michigan did last year and jim harbaugh came out and essentially said hey we're going to play McCarthy for the first half of this game, and we're going to play McNamara in the second half, and then the next week we're going to swap. And they basically had three complete cupcakes to start the year. Why would you not want to get these guys game reps? It's just – I think it comes down to being difficult to simulate the actual game speed in practice. Look at Utah, right? Back-to-back -back defending Pac-12 champions. Cam Rising is a really good player for them at the college level. I know he may not be a great NFL prospect. They started the wrong guy for like the first three games in 2021. They lost to like lost or almost lost to San Diego State because they, they they couldn't move the ball at all. And this kid comes on and like, how how do you not see that in practice? I mean, Hendon Hooker for Tennessee is very likely a, a Heisman finalist if he doesn't get hurt there against South Carolina, like we talked about with Joe Milton. I mean, he was on the bench for the first couple of games. <laughs> I do think it's harder to figure out what you have. Uh, especially maybe in college. Once you get to the NFL, at least you have a large sample set of what you did in college, most likely. But I don't know, like maybe in the NFL, there's situations too where a guy was a backup and he goes somewhere and all of a sudden he's, he's, he's a good enough player as a starter. But I mean, everybody going to, I mean, I, I don't want to say everybody, like Jordan Love didn't have the best numbers or anything like that. But most of these guys have great numbers in college, just like these guys in college had great numbers in high school. So, but you're right. In the NFL, you don't, you rarely see somebody riding the bench for a while. Um, that ends up being a great player. Part of it's probably the physical and, and mental maturity as well. I, I think the jump that may occur from sitting on the bench between ages 18 to 20, uh, let's, let's assume you're kind of toiling away as a bench warmer for two years of college, that physical mental jump 
uh, is probably greater than it is in the NFL from, let's say, like 24 to 26, right? You're, you're, you're kind of still a kid at 18 in, in many ways mentally, uh, at least for, for the ones we talked to as recruits. Okay, can we, can we take a step back real quick and talk about yeah. the transfer portal in general and how this has changed the college football landscape and how that is changing, how it's changed your process of getting ready for the season. And I mean, it just, it feels like every year is, it, 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 it's, it's unique. Um, I thought last year is unique and this year is even more unique. So the transfer portal has been just absolutely wild. From a betting perspective, I love it. But that's because I do college football only like that's the only you know every I, you know every player in the world and you know their impact and all that so and i still feel swamped so like if for, for the guys out there who are betting multiple sports i i, I can't imagine how how that feels right yeah exactly so um you know i just i start early like i, I track everybody who goes in i know what they did at the prior school i try to reference back to what my opinion was of them as a recruit I also think you have to kind of, I mean, like we say, we respect the market number. I think, I mean, honestly, guys, I, I care a lot about what the market of offers says about the player once they hit the portal. What, what schools are showing interest in the player? Because that probably uh, is sort of a reevaluation of his, of his talent, right? Just like what schools offered him out of high school, what schools pursued the player in the transfer portal? I mean, if, if the guy was a big time guy at a big time school out of high school, but nobody seems to want him, even if I don't know the reason why people don't want him, I'm kind of kind of defer to the market a little bit in my grade on that player and say, okay, some of these coaches out there must know something that I don't know. Otherwise, they would probably be offering the guy. Uh, and then you have some that are just it, they've clearly a lot of these big big time guys are are back channeled and they hit the portal. They don't announce where they're going for the first couple of days to avoid the appearance of tampering, but we know that they're not actually looking at other schools. They already have uh, a deal basically done. So uh, it's it's very interesting to track, and I, now you got, I, it's it's pretty wild. But it, obviously, if you miss on the portal, it, it can totally jack up your numbers. So you need to at least pay attention to it. How does the uncertainty in projecting somebody, uh, uh, someone transferring who? may not have played as much at their first school compared to the uncertainty of just a recruit from uh, coming out of high school? I think with the uncertainty of the recruit, you're at least probably hearing practice reports about them uh, for the first year they're on campus. Most guys don't play as a freshman. So you've at least heard some things. Hey, this guy does look good in practice. This guy, you know, like eventually we do feel good about where he is. I mean, you talk to some coaches and they're like, Oh, he's a hit. No doubt about it. Like, First five days on campus, he's exactly what we thought he was. You know, physically, we already knew what his testing numbers were, but you know, he came in, the, the way he works, the, the way he acts. Like, we're not having to teach him how to be an adult. It, so with, with the transfers, I mean, a lot of these guys don't come in until the summer, so they don't even get a spring. So you're, I'm trying to read as many practice reports as, as, as I can to figure out, like, is this guy a fit? What do we think the real upside is here? And it goes back as, as well to why – did they transfer? I mean, did they transfer because, you know, like they got beat out? Why was the guy not playing? I mean, you know, there were some situations last year of certain teams that got really dinged up and they had former highly rated kids who also couldn't get in the game. Like, all right, this is a red flag to me. If you can't get on the field and you got these kind of walk-ons playing over you. So what, what's wrong? So you could have some guys that are maybe bad culture fits or maturity issues. 
are there guy are there certain uh, programs that are better than others at sort of handling those types of kids? It's almost like you know, back in the day, like Terrell Owens. You know, he's not going to be. He he would only really work with a certain type of coach in a certain type of organization, um, or Randy Moss or someone like that, right? I I think there are, yeah, and and I, I mean, look, some of these teams take a whole lot of transfers, and I think that they are doing so out of desperation because their coach happens to appear on a hot seat list or a, a hot seat list preseason, and when you know you kind of need to make a bowl game or uh, potentially get fired. So from that perspective, yeah, I think you have to kind of understand, but that's also knowing the background of some of this stuff. You also have some kids who big time programs did want or, or wish they could have, but maybe their academic standards are a little bit different and they couldn't offer the player. Or, I mean, we talk about this, look at Northwestern and Stanford. I, I've been beating this drum on, on the cover three podcast for a couple of years now. I'm like, look, this transfer portal stuff is bad for the schools with great academics because I, Put aside the fact that some of them are on a quarter system or, you know, a, a different type, like the, the, the mini semester stuff they do just academically, it's very hard for some schools to take undergraduate transfers. A lot of these private schools will only count 60 of your undergraduate hours. So you need to be a very young undergrad uh, or you need to be a graduate transfer. Like, I don't think Stanford takes kids who only have, you know, 40 hours to go, right? So what what um, programs going into this year do you think are impacted most positively by transfers? I thought USC did a pretty good job of raising its floor with with the transfer portal, specifically on defense. Um, I mean they they plucked a let's say floor good ceiling excellent player for every level of the defense, um, including just going to Arizona and basically taking like the, the best player in Arizona's defense at, at all three levels. So that that had to be a really a nice parting gift for their former uh, Pac-12 member. Thought LSU did a really good job. They, they had to rebuild the secondary. Uh, the Denver Harris kid who they got, the corner from Texas A&M, uh, who was uh, – now, I mean, this is kind of what we talked about, the maturity thing. It's not a great idea to drive really fast in a parking garage and broadcast it on Instagram Live. But when he was on the field, he was really good. And so LSU got him in the portal – they did a nice job in mining the FCS for a kid named Zy Alexander, uh, who, you know, again, is not going to show up on a lot on some of these lists as quite as high. But I thought they rebuilt the secondary in a nice way. Uh, Florida State, I mean, biased here. I went, went to undergrad there. But uh, they got Keon Coleman, uh, who is the number four receiver on Dane Brugler of the Athletic, his uh, mock draft uh, list. And Apparently he windmill dunked at the head coach's house in jeans and loafers. So that's, and he actually got real minutes on Michigan state's basketball team. Uh, so he's kind of, kind of a freaky receiver for them. And they got some good depth. So I would say those three for sure. And Colorado with what Dion has done uh, is, I mean, their, their team has 60 plus transfers on it. it it's it, it basically warps your, your numbers. I, I still struggle with what to do with that. <laughs> Who do you who who's been the most adversely impacted by the transfer portal this year? Uh, I would say West Virginia lost some important guys uh, on on defense. That's again a staff who uh, their coach appears on a lot of these preseason hot seat lists. Um, you know, Houston uh, certainly lost uh, some some impact guys uh, to you know to, to the portal. I think those are you know, pretty well known on the list. Uh, as far as like, guys they actually lost, those two would stand out to me. Um, 
on the flip side, again, the, the real high academic schools, it's not necessarily who they lost, but the inability to replace. If everybody is replacing and improving, uh, some of these schools are essentially – do you guys remember in baseball when the Orioles were like, no, we're good. on We're going to sit out the, the international market. We're just going to go a domestic draft only? Yep. As an Orioles fan, the Dan Duquette era. Yep. Yeah, so it's kind of like that, right? I mean, if you can't take transfers, your hit rate in high school has to be that much higher. Yeah, it's it's also similar to like what Duke used to be like before they started taking like the guys that were going to be one and done, and now they're like a completely different program than they were, you know, back in back in the day. Exactly. So, what I guess exiting the transfer portal a little bit, maybe what are what are sort of the most I guess like against the grain predictions you have for this season or like the most controversial opinions. Uh, I, I took some Oklahoma state uh, to, uh, to win the big 12 at 60 to one. I think that got, I don't want to do the pass post thing. I just, I don't know. Like I, I think sometimes we overrate the loss of like some very popular transfers. And I, I try to defer to the track record a little bit on, on a coach like Mike Gundy, who has won 10 plus games. A lot of times seems to always know, what he's doing like can they really bottom more than when they had three quarterbacks get hurt last year i i don't know just like compared to where some of the media voting is i i definitely uh i i liked oak state a little bit better um ucla's got a quarterback in dante moore who's a true freshman out of detroit king and uh he i think he's the goods just probably if he does win that job i would feel pretty confident on him being being an important freshman and i I mean, I really want to see too, like if Nico plays at Tennessee, like if, if Joe Milton doesn't work out, uh, Nico Amalieva was kind of the first huge NIL guy, uh, but he was a world-class volleyball player legitimately too out, out of the state of California and a freaky athlete with a huge arm and, and very productive. So I, I, I'm curious to see if, if he can get on the field. You know, a lot of my stuff is I, you hate to bet on freshmen. Sometimes I, I do like to bet on freshmen, right? Has that the freshman thing has that changed over time with you know the way things are right now, or is it is it is it been pretty stable that freshmen you like to bet on freshmen? I think I'm more comfortable betting on freshman quarterbacks than I used to be because they do play. I mean, they're playing year round, right? Like they're they they play a lot of seven on seven. They're they're, they're at these elite camps. Uh, the uh, the percentage of quarterbacks who enroll early for spring semester. Uh, is is much higher than it used to be, right? There's very few high schools now which will prevent a, a, a student from graduating early. I, mean, I know in a, some of the Catholic schools uh, don't allow it, uh, but for the most part, almost all your publics, you, you can get your credits done and get out a semester early to allow you in for that spring semester. And I, if you're a freshman playing college ball and you really have, if you're physically mature enough to play in a freshman season at a big-time program, uh, I do think having that spring uh, within the offense, uh, especially the offense, can can really help you. So would you say that now relative to like 10 to 15 years ago, you would weight, I guess, an incoming freshman class a lot more um, than I guess, in the past in terms I, of because they're going to be it's it's more likely that they're going to be playing more, getting getting more meaningful minutes. Yeah, I I I, I think so. For sure. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean you should weight every class equally where, where, where it is within its development cycle, right? Like I, 
you know, Texas A&M signed the best recruiting class of all time. And last year they were true freshmen. And, and clearly some of those guys have transferred away already. So maybe there's some signal to that. And Jimbo has hired a new offensive coordinator and is apparently giving up play calling. So you know, we have to monitor that as well. But the guys who did stay are still really damn good, you know? So do you think there's any inefficiencies in that type of thing? Like guys, teams that had a great recruiting class, but kind of underachieved and, you know, a lot of these freshmen were playing a lot of snaps. I, I think so. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I mean, it's still case by case, like it, it but yes, I, I think it's definitely worth looking into. What about um, teams that you think returned a lot of guys and we may look to be on early in the season versus teams that got a lot of transfers and whatnot, like, you know, Colorado, you would expect to be better at the end of the year than they are at the beginning of the year, relatively speaking. Are there any situations like that to keep an eye on where you think certain teams will, will show well at the beginning of the year based on returning a lot? Yeah. I mean, I, so the Colorado one is really interesting because a lot of the guys who they signed have played in that system. So while they are new to playing with each other, a lot of them at least played within a similar type type of scheme. Uh, so they, there may not be, it may not look like a total cluster on, on the field when they open against TCU. Uh, there are really hard projections too, because they took a lot of FCS guys from Dion's time at Jackson state. And all those guys had numbers because talent wise, they were not FCS level players. <laughs> You know, they're FBS, in some cases, high-level FBS players that he got to come with him to Jackson State, and so they they dominated. So we really haven't seen them play against a similar FBS comp, um, which th- that'll be interesting to watch. I also think with, with them, think about it. Okay, I may be able to get 20 or 30 players that I'm really excited about. You only get one transfer. How the hell are you recruiting depth? Right. Like what kind of player is going to agree to use his one transfer to come and be a probable backup? Like that's that's hard to get. So Colorado, uh, I, I'm very curious if they stay healthy because I, I don't think Colorado fans want to have to dip into that depth. That They may really have a, a steep drop off there, I mean, especially at quarterback. Dion came out before the before his son had even transferred there, basically, and was like, yeah, my son's a starting quarterback. Okay, well, good luck going to get a backup quarterback to to that via the portal. You're you're relying on some you know some interesting talent there. Interesting. And then you know, last question. And I'm sure you've looked at Week One already. Is there any interesting matchups in Week One that you want to get our listeners clued into early? I uh, I I have looked at at some of the Week Zero and Week One stuff. I mean, uh, so you know, Navy is running a new offense this year. Uh, and I, I don't know what that's going to look like. They wait, they, they, there's they, not going to be the triple option anymore. Well, it, it's a different kind of triple option. So they, they, they hired a guy from, from Kennesaw state. So you always have to run option at, at Navy or well, I, you probably should just given the, the size requirements of, of the service academies, because you really can't run out, you know, 325 pound offensive linemen and then have them do the fitness test, you know, on, on their off day. Uh, but I'm curious to see how that works. And on, on the flip side of that, you know, Sam Hartman uh, was one of the most sought after portal quarterbacks out there and decided to go to Notre Dame uh, instead of, of the NFL. You know, with him, they run a kind of a weird system at Wake Forest. And Wake Forest people bristle at the idea that 
that Hartman or rather that their quarterbacks are just a product of their system. And I think there probably is some, some real, uh, I think there's some real juice to what they're saying. Like Hartman legitimately, if you isolate his numbers on like long down and distance where the system they run is not really a help to him because nobody's going to buy the some sort of the slow mesh stuff that they do. They're, they're just playing basically pass only. He was actually really good. And Notre Dame last year had had poor quarterback play uh, to be sure. So I think there is some chance that Hartman might be a real dude. Just if you look at that sort of, okay, let's separate sort of the, like the obvious passing downs from what the stuff that wake system could you know help him with. He was still like, very good within the league. So, you know, that one to me is, is pretty fascinating. Um, oh shoot. I had another one. Now I'm, I, I, now I forgot what it was. Uh, shoot. Oops. Oh, similar guy too. Like we, we mentioned returning quarterbacks. J.J. McCarthy at Michigan. I mean, Harbaugh loves the guy. Uh, I know Bruce Feldman had an article the other day saying that Harbaugh thinks there's going to be 20 draft picks in the upcoming draft off this Michigan team, which would break the Georgia record. Uh, I think Georgia might have something to say about that, by the way. Like they might break their own record. But uh, McCarthy was number one in QBR on play action and number 55 without play action. Like if he makes that jump and can, I mean, to me, I, I like, you know, it's small sample set stuff, but that's a pretty big gap. Uh, so I'd like to see him be better in obvious passing down. So it's sort of the, the reverse of, of what you had with Hartman there for Michigan. So would you say that that would indicate that McCarthy's kind of overachieved a little bit that he, I mean, he has, yeah. Or it's less potential to well no i i I think it might be the reverse like i mean he was a a very talented young quarterback who who beat out uh mcnamara who's now going to be iowa's starter i mean like we we knew we liked him a lot chicago kid he played his senior year down at img during covid but a raw player and and definitely somebody who needed some development last year i mean very helped with play action but you know 55th behind michigan's offensive line (laughs) speaks to me of somebody who needs to process more quickly and and may reach that ceiling. We'll see with more reps. I mean, it does happen. These are you know, kind of kids we're dealing with, but like last year when he was behind the chains, not great, just kind of okay. I mean, I, I would have guessed that there's more, maybe more signal, just like you mentioned with, with uh, Hartman at, at Wake Forest, like there's more signal in those plays that aren't as schemed up. Right, exactly. So you know, Michigan, I thought, was helping McCarthy a lot. They also just rarely, like their schedule last year was pretty soft. They played three three kind of patsies in the non-conference. Against Ohio State, he made some plays, but a couple of them are just totally wide open. We, we talked about this, I think, on the Bull Show. With, you, know, like the, you basically have to bet Ohio State against Georgia with the, against the number, or I thought you did. Um, but, you know, the, the, the size of the explosive play against Ohio State really kind of masked maybe on a down-to-down basis how well he played. So I, I mean, if McCarthy makes a jump, I do think Michigan can be like national title good like if, he, if he plays to his ceiling. So they're they're definitely an interesting team for me to watch, but a lot of it does come down to him. Okay, Bud, last question. Yeah. What is your prediction for the playoff this year? Ooh, okay. I haven't turned them in yet. So uh, Georgia, just because they're, I mean, I don't know that they're double digits every game, but they're they're like triple digits every game, but one. So, you know, or excuse me, not triple digits, but three scores uh, every game, but one, I think. 
Um, so I'll go Georgia. I'll go Michigan. I will go Ohio State again, running it back with with the two teams from the Big Ten. And uh, I'll go Texas. Ooh, no Alabama. Yeah, I, I know this is tough. I, I think there's really like nine that that, that could kind of get in. Give us the other. Give us the other five then. Uh, Clemson, Florida State, Bama, LSU, USC or Oregon from the Pac-12. I guess Penn State if they really hit their ceiling. I don't know if you're very good at math, but that's more than nine. So, all right, but thank you for joining us. I'll let you guys get back to your bet bashing and your uh, scavenger hunting. Um, We'll check in with you again mid season and see how we're doing and get some, get some more knowledge from you, but thank you for joining us. Enjoy it guys. Peabody rankings, crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down, it seems like they don't get it. Puppet teaser, but the engine's running off a of leaded. None of it's organic, it all sounds synthetic. That's why I fucks with Jeff Ma and his dog Rufus. No locks of the year, they just tell you what their truth is. Maybe make your pockets fatter as the bookies get thinner. Give the information, turn and lose the betters into winners. Yeah. Sam Hahn, rapping rockers, Jeff Ma, Rufus Peabody, crunching all the numbers, Massy Peabody rankings, we're looking for the edge, analytically driven, crunching all the numbers, 